Why, hello there, everyone, and welcome to Series 2 of the Urban Health Podcast, Keeping Busy People Healthy. I'm Stephanie Webster, a nutritional therapist in Harley Street, London, specializing in fat loss, gut health, and hormone optimization for busy executives and entrepreneurs over 40. Today, we are joined by Natasha Muller, who is a trustee for United for Global Mental Health and a member of the steering committee for the NextGen Impact Leadership Accelerator Program at the University of Zurich. Natasha is also a founding member of the Conduit Club. Her expertise comes from managing a private portfolio of investments, including impact investments and philanthropic efforts. Natasha, it's a privilege having you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. So Natasha, what are the main problems surrounding global mental health? So in terms of global mental health, there are a diverse range of issues that the mental health community are trying to address because it's a huge topic and it can be looked at from many different angles. But for me, the main problems are firstly prevalence. Mental health conditions are on the rise in every country in the world and they damage our economies, our societies and our physical health. Depression alone is expected to be the leading cause of disease globally by 2030. And one in four people already suffer from depression around the world. And suicide, which is an area that I am particularly active in in terms of campaigning, is the leading cause of ill health and death for young women globally. I think another problem is stigma and discrimination that's associated with mental health issues. And this is really a big one because it prevents people from asking for help and from receiving the support they need. And this applies to people who can even get access to support in the first place, because access to support in itself is the next big problem. There simply isn't enough access to support, particularly in low and middle income countries. Over three quarters of people with mental health conditions receive no support at all. So get this, just as one example, in Liberia, there's one psychiatrist and it has a population of approximately 4.9 million. There's just not enough to go around. And the last problem that I wanted to mention is the political and financial commitment to addressing mental health issues. This is one that we focus on at United for Global Mental Health, because in almost every country, there is just not enough political or financial support to address these challenges. So for example, it should be, it's been estimated that high income countries need to spend about 10% of their health budget specifically on mental health. And in low-income countries, it's about 5%. But in reality, it's way, way lower than this. It's just around 1%. And global financing should be about 1 billion US dollars every year. But at the last count, it was just 130 million US dollars for all countries combined. It's just nowhere near, nowhere near enough, basically. And there needs to be more support because these are chronic conditions, chronic states where it needs constant review. It's not just you go in, you get fixed, you come out. It's it's a you need to build a relationship with your support network to help improve your mental health overall. I one hundred percent agree. And another problem with mental health is that it has spillover into other areas of your life. So. The economic cost, for example, the societal cost of mental health is so much greater. So if you can reach out and build those networks, like you're, like you're saying, then we can be much more resilient long term. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that the more isolated we become, particularly living in urban health lifestyles, urban lifestyles, 
the, the the more disconnected we become, the less emotionally nourished we are by our tribes. I call it building a tribe, people that you feel you can be yourself with, that you feel safe with, that you feel emotionally nourished by. And if we're not emotionally nourished by our tribe, we tend to reach mm-hmm. for alcohol or drugs or whatever else it is in order to fill that void. And that can only add to the mental health uh, issues that we face today. So what got you particularly interested in mental health? You've got uh, such passion and, and such um, energy uh, to your charity. And <laughs> so what got you into mental health? Um, well, if I may, it's a, very, it's a very personal story. And so I, I hope it's all right to share it on this platform. I was unfortunate enough to have experienced a very traumatic event when I was 17. My father, who was a great father, but unfortunately suffered from bipolar type 1 disease and chronic depression. Uh, He died by suicide when I was 17. And me and my brother found him when we were at home alone. So I have personal experience with living with someone who has a mental health issue. And I understand what it's like for someone to live with a chronic mental health problem. I also know what it's like to be a victim of mental health, um, particularly on the suicide, which is why I mentioned earlier that suicide is a particular interest, area of interest for me. And when I was in university, I saw a lot of my colleagues and friends and peers struggle with mental health issues. I think it's particularly, it manifests itself particularly strongly at those kind of coming of age uh, moments where your identity is in fluctuation and those tribes that you were mentioning, they're often not entirely formed at university. You know, you've moved from safe haven of your house, your friendship, and you're going into the wider world. So I think those moments are particularly difficult. And I saw a lot of friends suffer from various mental health issues when I was younger A number of my friends also died by suicide, and actually a few months ago, one of mine and my brother's best friend died by suicide. So it's something that I've seen a lot, and I'm very lucky that I have a very strong group of friends and a very loving, caring family that provided the support that I needed. So what does your charity do to help combat these issues? So at United for Global Mental Health, our vision is a world where everyone, everywhere, has someone to turn to when their mental health needs support. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, overall, there is a lack of political and financial support to address this growing health crisis. And this is what United for Global Mental Health was set up to address. So we focus on three main things. Advocacy. We bring ambition to global advocacy. And we initiate and coordinate advocacy efforts to raise funding and political will for global mental health care. We focus on financing and finding innovation to global financing solutions. So we can also promote these solutions to potential funders. And we focus on campaigning by providing a platform for citizen voices to campaign to demonstrate to leaders that this is an area that they really need to focus on. So just to explain what this looks like in practice, To end the neglect of mental health, United for Global Mental Health is powering a campaign called Speak Your Mind. It's going to be, or it is, a nationally led and globally united civil society campaign calling for governments to invest, educate, and empower societies with solutions that work. 
The campaign is driven by those with their own lived experience of mental health, together with experts and partners to support the national campaign. And we launched last month at the World Health Assembly. And already 15 countries are taking part in the, in the campaign. So we have big plans for the coming months and years to make this a truly global conversation to lead to greater action. So keep an eye on the space. It's going to be a really exciting time for development and for the scaling up of mental health initiatives worldwide. I think that's amazing. And you're doing leaps and bounds and strides to combat the stigma that surrounds mental health. And uh, I'm very impressed with your efforts. And why do we have a stigma? And what can we do to stop it? And how can we be more empathetic and understanding to those around us who have uh, issues that they're facing with every day? That's a really, really good question. Because stigma is a big problem when when trying to address mental health. Uh, because, you know, what stigma does, it essentially prevents people from reaching out for help when they need it. So even though you feel that you want help, you're ashamed or embarrassed or feel that you're weak in asking for help. The good news, though, is that there are really a lot of initiatives focused on improving this. And here in the, in the UK, there are the, actually quite at the forefront of, of doing this, in my opinion. So you have campaigns like Time to Change and Heads Together. They really focus on reducing the stigma. And the focus there is on social contact as being important. So they work with leaders, ambassadors, and people with lived experiences who speak out about mental health. And this demonstrates that it's okay to talk about it. So I'm sure you've seen on TV and on BBC what Prince William is doing, talking about talking out about his own lived experience of mental health. And it just it opens up the space for others to do the same. And Time to Change in particular really emphasizes the importance of personal stories. Um, they are, people with lived experience are at the heart of their campaign to end stigma and discrimination. And I think working to change conversation around mental health at work and in employment is important. And education about mental health in schools and early prevention is re- really a key factor in reducing stigma. Because, you know, if you work in schools, then you're influencing the next generation and they will take those ideas forward. And I think a lot has been done recently to address stigma, particularly in developed countries, but lots more still needs to be done. And you know what? The great thing about the work we do at United for Global Mental Health is that we're calling for action on mental health to be taken globally. And an amazing consequence of this is that people see the call and the action that is being taken to address mental health and they realize they're not alone. So that in itself is kind of stigma busting. I think the last thing that I would say in relation to stigma is that it's important not only to address stigma, it's also important to address the issue of access to care and support. Because that was one of the problems I mentioned earlier. Because, you know, if people reach out for help, if they get over that problem of stigma and ask for help, but it's not possible to receive it, then it doesn't really help anyone. So that's why at United for Global Mental Health, we really focus on increasing that support so that everyone everywhere has someone to turn to. And we're learning every day. We've got new techniques, new stra- new strategies, new therapies on how to deal with PTSD. We've had lots of the press about that, depression, anxiety, perfectionism, body dysmorphia, eating disorder, the whole the whole um, host of, of things. We're learning so much about the brain and how the physical structure of the brain affects mood and how if it's psychological then it's biological and there's a physical difference in in the in the brain uh, and also the brain chemistry but it starts really on a community level 
And how can we build stronger communities globally to be more supportive in general? Mm, that's another really good question. Uh, I'm not sure I have the perfect answer for that, but I would say that I very much agree. You mentioned tribes earlier, and I think you really hit the nail on the head. At United for Global Mental Health, building stronger communities is a key part of our vision for what we would like a world-inclusive mental health to look like, but it's not something we actively engage in as part of our work. Personally, though, I'm very interested in this. Because as a mental health activist and a social impact investor, it, I think it's key. Because studies at LSD and Harvard University show that those rich social bonds that you were talking about in those tribes and those meaningful relationships are the route to happiness. And being part of strong communities is a powerful way to build that. I, just, I don't think that there is really one straightforward path to achieve this. It's, because it's quite an abstract concept. Um, but in my experience, there are a number of things that could work towards achieving stronger communities. So they revolve around creating shared experience, building trust, maximizing interaction between people, and having buy-in on common values and shared purpose. And this last one, this idea of having a shared purpose or common values is absolutely essential, particularly because it builds trust and accountability, which is something that I think in this day and age, we are very much lacking. So as an investor and founding member of the Conduit Club, for example, our vision was to create a global community that drives increased positive social impact. And we did this by creating dynamic physical spaces for members to meet up in person. So members can go to the club, they can learn new ideas, they can develop insights, share experience and purpose, and establish meaningful collections, all of which serve to build up the community. And we're going to do this globally by replicating the club model in different locations worldwide. So that would be one good example of how we could build up communities globally. That's absolutely outstanding. I love that. And which brings me on to the next question. You and I have spoken often about diet, exercise, mental health, and how it all interplays together. I have ulcerative colitis and my digestive system um, has been uh, benefiting from probiotics and and anti-inflammatory diets and looking after my microbiome, for example, and and having a low-carbohydrate diet, too low a carbohydrate diet, does not permit serotonin, largely stored in the gut, to permeate the blood-brain barrier into the mind, which starts to lower your mood and you start to feel a bit iffy, uh, to say the least. So I was wondering, how have you done research into diet and how that plays into mental health? Because there is uh, a lot of research around this and everything that we put into our bodies has an effect. There's no such thing as a side effect, but merely a host of effects. So how what we feed ourselves has an impact on our mental health. What have you found with your research? Oh, me personally, definitely. And I know that it's, a, it's an area of common interest to us since we're both interested in fitness and food. Um, the body is a holistic system. And you hit the nail on the head on a very basic level. I think everyone finds that when they eat healthier or cleaner, they generally tend to feel better and more mentally positive. There is definitely a reason that the expression listen to your gut exists. I mean, it's based on the idea that your stomach is a second brain. So how we eat and what we eat totally influences our mental health. You know, those carbohydrates you mentioned, vitamins, healthy fats, minerals like magnesium and zinc, 
they all play essential roles in our body. They help our brain function and regulate emotion. And low levels of B12, for example, have been linked to increased brain inflammation, inflammation and higher rates of depression. And you mentioned that you have ulcerative colitis. Well, I have IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. And this creates chronic low-level inflammation in the gut, and there, which is known to, be called, known to be a cause of depression. And research shows that 61% of people who have IBS also have an anxiety disorder. So the field of psychobiotics, which is the research that I've been looking into, it's a relatively new field of research, looks specifically at that. The bacteria that when consumed, that can result in beneficial effects on mood, motivation, and cognition. And it explores the relationships between the gut and the brain and how the brain can be infected by the gastrointestinal biome. So that unique bacterial gut that you were talking about, we've got 2 million unique bacterial genes, which means it has an enormous implication for our sense of self because they have a huge influence on our immune system. And neurotransmitters also play an important role those serotonin that you were talking about, 95% of it is produced in the gut. They regulate appetite mood and it has plays a role in inhibiting pain. And serotonin is made from L-tryptophan, which is an essential amino acid. So it means we can only get this from food. And as the brain stores very little tryptophan, we need to top this up daily from food to create that serotonin and make us feel happy. As the amount of tryptophan that reaches our brain is in turn regulated by our gut microbiome, we have to have a healthy gut to have a happy mind. Absolutely. Health before aesthetics and, and health before anything else. So sometimes I think when we're pursuing uh, an aesthetic goal, we forget our health and it all starts in the gut and in our gut instincts. And and thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, what are the main challenges for access to global mental health support? So as we discussed kind of earlier, I would say the main challenges are stigma, access to care, and ensuring that this care is in itself early, humane, and effective. That is how we ensure global access to mental health support. You know, the sad thing is that not everyone gets the help they need. And United for Global Mental Health is focused on increasing the political and financial support to ensure that the right solutions are scaled up alongside more innovation so that people get the support they need. We need to reframe mental health as an important issue at both the national level and the global level so that we can achieve more and better government action. And I think that by uniting civil society to use their collective voice, we can drive that change for better government action on mental health. I think at the moment our world is not equipped to provide the support that's currently needed and this is only going to be a growing problem. So the message that we United for Global Mental Health have for leaders is that it's time to act. So if anyone wants to join us, you can pledge to speak, speak your mind at gospeakyourmind.org and be part of the global campaign calling for action. Thank you so much, Tash, today for sharing all of those amazing insights. You're so passionate and determined and for such a noble cause. So <laughs> how can we all get in touch with United for Global Mental Health? Uh, we've got a website, so you can look us up at www.unitedgmh.org. But I would say if you really want to get involved, get involved in our, in our campaign and speak up about mental health. Because this is really what's needed to get governments and national leaders 
to address mental health care. So go to gospeakyourmind.org and be part of the campaign. That would be the best. Thank you for sharing light on such an important topic. Thank you. Okay, and thank you for keeping the Urban Health Podcast up to date on mental health issues.